Read your Bibles, please, to the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, chapter 4, we'll be beginning uh, at verse number 12 uh, this morning. We'll be kind of going through uh, uh, chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6, but none of y'all panic and none of y'all leave. I knew not to put that in the bulletin because if I put we're going to do three chapters, there would be nobody left here in this church to hear me talk. But uh, there's a really important message for us to learn uh, this morning because if we really think about it, all of us have things that mean something to us. We all have trinkets and we all have symbols that have certain sentimental to, value to us because they remind us of places and they remind us of times and they remind us of, of people. Uh, things that we may remind us of uh, relationships, things that remind us of people who may have uh, been gone and those things are important to us and uh a lot of times those trinkets become uh, a part of where they lose their, their value or they lose their meaning in life or their meaning to us. It's sort of lost, either not with us, but for other people. That Other people may see something that's important to us, but don't really know the story behind it. So therefore, it doesn't mean anything to them. And so they don't know how to treat it and they don't know how to, uh, to value it. We also have things that are important symbols to us as a group. And if you look around the, the church this morning, you look behind me, you see the uh, American flag, and you think about what meanings that that implies to us and what it symbolizes of when it was created and the, the founding of the country and uh, the liberty and freedoms and things like that. And you think about as we look around our church still, as we see this the, this beautiful Bible that sits here on the Lord's Supper table and how it reminds us of, uh, of God's Word and it reminds us of how we are to uh, follow Him. And we also have uh, traditions. We have days and weeks and various festivals that we have to remind us of things uh, and events. And even as we are here this morning, it's in somewhat of a tradition that we come here and we are remembering we were remembering that first Resurrection Sunday where the, where the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And every Sunday that we come to meet together, we do so as a celebration of that event. And so it means something to us. But all these symbols and all of these traditions have a tendency of growing old and they lose their meaning and they become just symbols, and they just become days, and they just become rituals, and they just become traditions, or they just become objects because they have lost the substance of their meaning. And in a sense, they become worthless. This morning, we're going to speak on one of the most powerful symbols of the people of Israel, of God's people. And that was the Ark of the Covenant that had the mercy seat there between the chamber room uh, where God's glory would actually sit. And it was a powerful symbol and it was a powerful message and it was a powerful thing to the people there in Israel. <clears throat> but it had lost its meaning. It had lost the substance of its meaning. Because they have lost the focus of what that ark represented. And that was the one true God. And so it became just a thing. 
It became, in a sense, an idol, a meaningless thing to them that had something powerful in its meaning, but yet had no substance in their heart because it had no connection to God. But what we learned this morning is what's true in a lot of things in our life, that sometimes you have to lose something in order to understand its true meaning. So let's walk with Israel as they experience a great defeat and as they get to see God show himself for who he truly is. And let us think this morning, have we lost that vision of God? And can we regain it this morning as we listen to his word? Let's listen in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Let's begin with verse number 12. It says this, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and he came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn, with dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli was sitting on the seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is the uproar? <coughs> and, the man, and the man hurried and came to Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hephaniah and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from the seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And he who had judged Israel for forty years. Now the daughter-in-law, uh, the wife, or the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth. For her pains came upon her. And about that time of her birth, the women attended her, said to her. Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she, said, but she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord, and the opportunity that we have to spend just a few moments in your word. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we spend this time, Lord, we realize, Lord, that the glory doesn't rely in things or in objects, but your glory relies, relies in our heart. And Lord, that we realize this morning, Lord, that even though that we may have powerful things that give us symbols, that gives us an understanding of who you are. But Lord, it's the substance of who you are that makes you who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
We know about the status of the people there in uh, Israel and where they were in this time as we've studied in the book of, uh, of Samuel. And we know about the state of the priesthood and we know about the state of the people. And we know how that they have fallen and how they have turned from God, but yet how there's still so much worship. There is still so much going on. There's, there's priests, there are preachers, there are prophets, there are services, there are offerings. There are all kind of devotions towards God, but all of them are hollow. They are not focused on the one true God, but rather their worship is a man-made worship. They're worshiping God how they want to. And here what we see in chapter 4 is what are the marks? What does it look like when we have that type of religion in our heart? When we just have this poser, pretend, man-made religion. We see what it looks like in our heart. And the first thing that you see is that they lived their life without God. They lived their life without God. At the beginning of chapter 4, it said that they had gone into battle with the Philistines. They hadn't asked God. They hadn't prayed to God. But they just went presumptuously into this battle with God. And as they went and they faced the Philistines and they came against the battle of these Philistines, all of a sudden they found themselves defeated. They found themselves losing. And the priests came back from the battle and they looked at each other and said, why has the Lord allowed this to happen? You know, they didn't need the Lord before. When everything was fine, they were living out the way in their lives that they wanted to. They were worshiping God the way that they were wanting to. <clears throat> they were sacrificing to God the way that they wanted to. They were living for God the way that they wanted to. And the priests were doing things the way that they wanted to. They had no concern. They had no recollection. They had no care whatsoever of God in their heart, in their life. They were living the way that they wanted to. But they did just like we do. They live their life the way they want to. And all of a sudden, they get themselves in the bind, Brother Jerry. And when they get themselves in the bind, they go, why is the Lord letting this happen to us? Isn't that the way that we are? When we live the lives that we want to, and it gets ourselves in a jam, all of a sudden, we start blaming God. Said, God, why do you allow this to happen to me? One of my favorite verses is from Proverbs uh, 19, uh, verse 6, I believe it is. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And so what that really says is we'll live our lives in any stupid way that we want to. <clears throat> we'll live our lives the way that we want to live our lives, and we'll make our own rules. But when our own rules gets ourselves in a jam, we'll start blaming God, won't we? God, why did you let this happen to me? Now, all of a sudden, we're thinking about God. And so as they're finding this in their life and as they're seeing themselves being defeated, now that they've got themselves in the jam, someone says, hey, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant so we will have the presence of God among us. And so that's what they did. 
They got themselves in the jam. They were living their lives the way that they wanted to. But now that they were in a mess, now that they were in the bind, someone turns up and says, hey, somebody, somebody go get God. We need God. And that's the way that we treat God. We want to have an on-demand God. We want to live the life that we want to live in our hearts and our lives. We want to make the rules. But when we get the jam, when we need something, we want God to show up, and we want God to show up now. And so now they have an inclination from God. Now they have a desire to bring him into their presence and into their midst. And so they went and they got the symbol the symbol of the presence of God in their life. And that was the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, uh, Hippias and Phineas, and I'm so glad when we're done with them because I'm tired of saying their names because I always get it wrong. But anyway, they go and they get the Ark and they march it out to the people. And you can just almost imagine this movie. As they're bringing in the Ark of Covenant into the battle, you can almost hear the, the music. You know, that music, that resounding music that you hear, the, the army was being defeated. They had low morale. You hear that soft, defeated music, and you see those slow-mo shots of, like, the people dying and the people losing. And all of a sudden, here comes the ark, and you can hear the music just pick up because here comes the ark. Here comes the presence of the Lord. And now, all of a sudden, the people are excited because they now that think, that God is in their presence, that God is in their midst. And they start singing, and they start shouting, and they start making noise, and they start banging their swords, and they start banging their spears, and they start banging their shields. And this is a great commotion. And the Philistines hear this great commotion. They hear this great sound, and they say, what is this? And listen to what they said in verse number 6 of chapter 4. It says, And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come in the camp, the Philistines were afraid, and they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of those mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, said the Philistines. And so it's amazing. The people who had the most belief in God's power, in God's ability, were not the God's people. We're not the Israelites, but rather we're the Philistines because they saw what the God of Israel could do. And so when they saw the ark come in, they thought that the presence of the Lord was now entering into the battle. And so they were scared and they were afraid and they had to muster deep down to go into battle but there was good news for the Philistines because even though the ark was there, the presence of God was not. And why was the presence of God not there in the battle? Because the people of God did not want them there. They may have wanted them there now that they were in trouble, 
But God's not going to be mocked like that. You cannot live your life the way that you want to. You cannot live your life under your own rules and expect God to be there for you in your times of trouble. It just doesn't work that way. God's not a magic spell. God's not a genie. God's not Santa Claus. God's not your waiter. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one true God, and he demands our true, exclusive worship. But let me tell you this, something about my God. If you don't want him in your life, he won't be in your life. So when your life goes down, hey, you didn't want him there. So why do you want him there now? And so there they were. They had the image. They had the thing. They had the ark. But there was no substance behind it. Because even though that they may have prayed to an ark, they did not worship the Lord it represented. And so we see what the marks are. The marks are you living your life the way that you want to. The marks are that when you get in a jam, all of a sudden you want God to show up and do something, but he doesn't. But the ultimate result of what happens in our life when we try to live our life in this type of way is that we suffer defeat and we face our worst fears, our worst nightmares. Isn't that what's happened? Is they feared that they would lose the ark in the presence. And so they made all types of compromises and treaties with other nations so that they could stay uh, so they could stay victorious. And so they turned away from God. And what did it get them? It got them lost. Eli was so afraid, so afraid of something bad happening to his sons that he compromised and didn't call them out on his sin. And because, and because he turned away from the Lord, what happened? He suffered his worst fear. He lost his sons. He lost his nation. He lost the ark. Everything was lost because they feared things other than God. They, abo- they followed things other than God. They lived their lives following the idols of the people around them. And they did not follow God, and so they suffered defeat in their life. And they suffered the loss of their freedom and of the ark and of the lives of those who they love. Isn't it amazing? We make all types of compromises in the church today. You know, we want to tone down our doctrine. Why? Because we're afraid of losing people. You know, we make all types of uh, compromises with the world because we don't want to lose the position or the status that we have as a church in our nation. 
And so we compromise to get people in. And what is the result of our compromise? Is that we lose the people and we shrink. We shrink as a body of Christ. We shrink and we lose our power. Our compromise brings our destruction because it cuts us from the power that got us here in the first place. And that is the power of God. They forgot that. They forgot who their Lord was. They forgot who their provider was. And as a result, they lost everything. And sometimes that's the place that God has to put us in for us to learn. He has to break us down. He has to let us lose things that we love. All these idols and all these things that we put before God. Sometimes he just has to let us run things on our own for just a little while for us to see what consequences it brings. Sometimes he has to just let us hit rock bottom so we could truly look up and see his glory. And that's what he did. So now, despite their best efforts, the ark was gone. And they said, the glory of Israel is gone. The glory of God has left us because the ark has gone. But now God is going to show them something because now the ark is taken off to the land of Phyllis, to the land of the Philistines. And first they bring it into the city of Ashdod, I believe it is. And they set him in the uh, the temple of Dagon, who is uh, who is the God there. And they bring the ark of God in there as a trophy and as a prize to show that their God is greater than the God of Israel. And so they set the ark there. And as they set the ark in there and they close the door and they come back the next morning and the next morning, all of those idols have fallen down before the ark of God. And they said, man, what happened? You know, somebody here has done kind of here and created a mess. And so they set this, the idols back up, and they go, and they leave, and they come back. And not only are now the gods there prostrate before the ark, but now their hands, their hands and their heads are cut off. God showed that he is the Lord of all. He showed that he was Lord of over everything, and he showed it to the Philistines, and he showed it without the help of the Israelites. He did it all by himself. And so now their idols are falling down, but now all of a sudden the people are starting to get sick with these tumors. These men are getting sick, and these people who don't know their right from their left are able to draw the conclusion that this is because we have the ark of God And this God that is in this ark is punishing us. And he's not happy about what is happening to him. And so they do what anyone else would do in that situation. Is they took that ark and sent it to somebody else. And so they sent it to Gath. And so it gets to Gath. 
And they set it there in the temple. And all of a sudden, the people there start getting sick. And they're saying, look, we don't, um, we don't want this here. This God is wreaking out punishment upon us. What are we going to do? Well, I hear what we're going to do. We're going to send it to another city. And so the ark of God now all of a sudden is like the Christmas fruitcake. You know, we're just passing around to somebody new every year because they were afraid because God is showing himself. He is showing his glory. And so they tried to send it to another city and said, man, what are you, you crazy? We seen what he's going to do to you and now you're going to bring it here to us? And they said, look, we got to get rid of this thing because this God is more powerful than us. God showed his glory. God wanted to show his glory by blessing his people, but his people weren't into that. So God was going to show his glory to the, to the world all by himself. And so they came to the conclusion that, hey, we need to get rid of this thing. And so they called the priest and said, look, what do we got to do to send this to send this ark back? What do we got to do to send this God back to his homeland so he will stop punishing us? They were ready to repent, and they were ready to turn, and they were ready to, uh, to confess that what they had done was wrong. And so they asked these pagan priests, he asked these diviners, what do we should do? And he gave, gave them some tips there in chapter 6 and said, look, you can't just send it back. But what you have to do is you can't send it back empty, but you have to send it back with an offering, a guilt offering. You have to, in a sense, confess that what you did was wrong. That's the number one step for us of restoring the glory of God. When we really hit rock bottom, when we finally come to the terms that, hey, we can't do this on our own, when we kind of you know, realize that, hey, we've messed up. We have to confess. We have to confess that what we did was wrong. And so he said, I want you to send an offering. Well, they said, what's the offering? And he gave them the offering that you were to make the replicas of the, the tumors that you had and of the mice that plagued you, five of them, one for every city, every great city there of Philistia. And you are to go and that you are to repent and that you are to confess that God is mighty, that God is glorious. God had showed that to a pagan people. And then he said, the next thing you have to do is, look, you need to do this now. You don't need to harden your hearts like the people there in, in, uh, in Egypt. Remember what Pharaoh did? See, even they knew that story. They heard the story. And so they knew what God was all about. And so they said, you know what? We can't, you, you don't need to hard your heart. But you need to send this back. You need to confess your sins. And you need to pray that God would forgive you. Even the pagans, even the pagans learned that. And so they put it, the ark, there with the offering. They set it on a new wagon. They give it to the, some calves to pull it. I mean, some, um, some cows to pull it. And 
they set off. And those cows take off or those animals take off to go straight back, straight back to the land of Israel. And so as it goes, it gets to to the town there, right there on the border. And there are the people there farming in their lands, God's people just farming in their lands, thinking about how the glory of Israel is gone, thinking about how the Ark of the Covenant is gone, thinking about how they're not going to be able to get it back, thinking about how they have failed God, thinking about how they have failed their people, thinking about how all hope was lost. And they're just sitting there, and they're farming, and they're thinking about those things, and all of a sudden they look, and here comes this cart. And here comes the ark of the Lord. Isn't it great to know? Isn't it great to know that what they weren't able to do, God did for them. That's important for us to remember. That what they could not do on their own, God did for them. We try to live the best life that we can, even those of us with the best intentions. But we can't. But you know what? God did that for us. We can't make atonement for our sins. We can't pay the penalty for how we've fallen short. But guess what? God has done that for us. We can't get through a lot of the messes that we've made in our lives, and we really can't atone for the way that we've hurt people and a lot of the jams that we got ourselves into. But there's good news for us this morning, and that is God did that for us. You know, we get ourselves in so many messes because we forget who God really is, and we really forget who we really are. And it causes us to live a life where we think we can do exactly what we want to do, and we can live our lives the way that we want to live. And when we do that, these great symbols and traditions of our faith just seem to lose meaning. They just simply become things. We just go to church. We just read our Bibles. We just do this, or we just do that. But, you know, sometimes life happens, and we get ourselves into jams, and we make mistakes, and we find ourselves in a place just like the people of Israel did, where they had forgotten to God to a point where they had allowed their lives and their countries and their families to go into ruins. But it's in that moment, it's in the depths of those low, low valleys that we get to see God work in a mighty way because we cry out and say, you know what, God, I can't fix this. God, I can't get myself out of this. God, I failed you. 
And it's then we get to see God move. Because in what we could not do, we see that God has done for us. I pray that this morning in our life, that there's meaning to our worship. I pray that there's meaning to our encounters with the word, that it changes and it shapes our lives. But I pray that even in those times, if you may find yourself lost this morning, have gotten away from him, or just really kind of gotten a rut, that you would find God this morning, that you will get to see him afresh and anew, that he's, as he reveals himself to you. And as we remember this morning, that what we couldn't do, Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stay that you've given us and the opportunity that we have to come and to worship you. Lord, I pray, Lord, this morning.